0: From VinePair's New York City headquarters, this is End of Day Drinks, where we sit down with the movers and shakers in the beverage industry. So pour yourself a glass and listen along with us. Let's start the show. On today's episode of End of Day Drinks, we're talking with the iconic director, Francis Ford Coppola. He's known for his amazing movies, but he's also just as well known for his amazing wine. While many know him for Francis Ford Coppola Winery... Francis owns many other wineries, and we're going to talk about all of them. We're going to find out how Francis first fell in love with wine thanks to his Italian heritage. And we'll also hear the story of how he decided to use his earnings from the Godfather to first buy a winery. Let's get into it.
1: Hey, everyone. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the tasting director of VinePair as well as the host of VinePair's Wine 101 podcast. Welcome to End of Day Drinks. Today... We are joined by Francis Ford Coppola, film director, producer, writer, winery owner, vintner. I'm sure there's more, <laughs> Mr. Coppola or Francis. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: My pleasure.
1: And um, as always, today we are joined by members of the VinePair editorial team. We have VinePair co-founder and CEO Adam Teeter.
0: Hey, Keith. Hey, Francis.
1: Hi, Adam. We have VinePair Senior Editor, Kat Walensky.
2: Hello, and hello, Francis. Thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Kat. It's my pleasure to meet you.
1: We also have VinePair Associate Editor, Katie Brown.
2: Hey guys, excited to be here today.
1: Um, We also have staff writer, Tim McCurdy.
3: Hi guys, how's it going?
1: And- Doing good. VinePair executive editor Joanna shirino
2: Hi everyone. Hi Francis. Hello, hello Joanna.
1: So, Francis, thank you again for joining us. Um are you uh, you're out on the West Coast? You out at a, are you doing some wine out there?
2: Well, I'm I'm here uh in in the in Napa Valley in Rutherford, They're actually up in a mountain overlooking beautiful nature so fortunate and blessed to, to be able to be here during this uh, difficult uh, pandemic era of course you
1: you you have a passion for wine as much as you have a passion for film and i was just curious w- did one come before the other or like or was how did how did that work out the fact that you got into wine and got into it so passionate
2: well, well well you know i <laughs> you can say i have a passion for everything i have a passion for life it's such a privilege to even be alive you know all of us we are, can feel that way but uh you know being an italian american i was raised in a household in in uh, in the east coast uh, in long island and from the dawn of my consciousness i never saw a dinner table that didn't have wine on it all my uncles and my father and my mother as uh, the children of immigrants, they were all born in the United States, but they still spoke Italian. They didn't teach it to the kids, so I, I didn't, uh, uh, learn. And I was named after my grandfather Francesco, but they wanted to call me Francis. So we were really new Americans, but the tradition remained to drink wine at the table. And as I said, even, even the kids, we didn't drink glasses of wine. Uh, Shoulders to shoulder with our parents, but we were allowed a little wine and we would put seven up or, or ginger ale or cream soda in it. So, so just wine was part of that family ritual of dinner for me. And I always uh, rem- remembered it. And then as I grew older, uh, I eventually uh, at, at about 22, I traveled uh, to Europe and I collaborated on a script that I was working on. I was by then a film, uh, uh Person and, and, I, and I collaborated on a script in Paris with the great Gore Vidal. And, wow. And, and I had this opportunity to, to meet him. He was a very brilliant uh, person, but he knew Europe. And and, 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 and and being with them, I had the chance to taste some great wines. And I mean, it really, I said, my goodness, this is so delicious. I mean, the wine we drank. Uh, all that my father drank and my father, my grandfather drank was good, honest wine. You know, right. as made by some of the immigrant families, like Gallo or, or um, you know, there there were plenty of. You know, they made their own during Prohibition with grapes supplied by the Mondavi family.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: this was a different. This was a different story. Having the wines of Bordeaux, having. The great! I tasted Romani coffee from Burgundy. I, I I tasted great first growth wine. I tasted wine from Ronan. and I I thought, my God, this is really this is more delicious than Coca Cola, which was my <laughs> my standard my standard as as a kid, you know. So so yes, I had the great luck, good fortune to to then taste some great wines, and of course I. You know, I I, uh, I I remember when I had the opportunity to have a little bit of money because most of my life I was really penniless and I was a starving student uh, uh, with with barely enough to, to 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 eat, which is why I gained weight incidentally because every night I used to have the Kraft macaroni and cheese <laughs> dinner, which cost which cost nineteen cents when I went to college. Right. So so. Uh, when I made the Godfather film and then for the first time had some money, uh, I, I said to my wife, let's get a little summer house in the, in, in the Napa Valley. It's only an hour away and, and just with trees and the kids can, I've uh, had two boys and they, we can all, you know, have fun in a little summer house, but maybe have an acre of grapes and then we can make wine ourselves. And for Christmas, we can give to all the relatives. That's awesome. So when I, went, when I went there, the real estate agent said, oh, this isn't for you, but they're going to auction the great Meebomb estate. And I said, well, what's that? They said, oh, this was part of one the most beautiful estate of all, which was the Inglenook estate, which has been all broken up by the corporations right. that owned it. But the family is auctioning the home. And my wife and I went and saw them. It, it was just an incomparable beauty. We couldn't believe It, it was 2,600. No, it was... Seventeen hundred acres, I think, and and uh, we we made a bid on it. We didn't get it, Uh, but then I said, "Gee, we should have get a bigger place." And then, of course, I won't go on and on. But but the story (laughs) is eventually the people who bought it did sell it to us, and and uh, we we started to live here.
1: Wow! And you started living there, and then eventually you had the wine. The wine was now. Now you're surrounded by wine.
2: Yeah, well, all, you know, when you live in the Napa Valley, all your neighbors and friends all make wine, and they yeah. make very good wine. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's a uh, it's, it's a pleasure to. But you know, I was never just because you you guys are much more connoisseurs probably than I am. But I was never one, I, and I went I went out of my way to to not be someone who could sip wine on its own and discuss its various. Aromatics and components. I like to drink wine with food. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a. I, I, I'm not a savant when it comes to that. You know, I know what I enjoy, and I always like to learn more. But uh, and I'll, and I'll, with, your, with your with your panel here of, of your associates, I'm sure they they're much more sophisticated than I. But I will tell them from my perspective what I think about wine and wine and food and. Film and life, and you know, I'm I'm really interested in everything. I think of all the pleasures of life, the greatest one is learning. Yes, and uh, and that's what I like to do. So love it. That's sort of the key of how I got involved in in the the wine business. It was an accident. That's great, Francis. This is Kat. I uh, yeah, Kat. This it seems like there's the one thing that ties all of your passions together, whether it's filmmaking or Winemaking or otherwise is your family. How important is family legacy to you in your businesses? Well, I think I have to go one step further and tell you that in my personal philosophy, the highest level of of of, of something to have would be friends. That friendship, I think, is the most valued uh, possible goal of life. It's not money. It's not billions. It's not stuff. It's not possessions, it's, it's friends. And family is a subset of, friend, of friends, it should be, because these are the people who you are the most intimate with, who, who you are the most invested in their well-being. Although, you know, I feel that way about all, all friends and friendship. And in fact, all people, because as you know, the human race, the Homo sapiens, uh, Race that we're part of is all one family. It just uh, you and I are actually related, uh, related by a grandmother if you go back far enough. But, but they didn't make it; we made it, and so we're all family. And oh, therefore, man. and so you, if you think of it that way, you know, friendship is is, uh, uh, is like family. Uh, all of us on the phone right now are all part of the same family.
3: Absolutely. Hey, Francis, uh, this is Tim here. I've got a question for you. So, you know, kind of talking about your early life and early days, um, and then moving on to your kind of early life in wine. So you bought a property in Napa in the 70s. Now, what was that like then? Because, you know, we're talking pre judgment of Paris, I imagine it was very different to, to how it looks now, or, or is that wrong? What, what was the kind of landscape there? Well, you know,
2: I, I I think Napa Valley and the vineyards and the wine business was in the middle of a turning point. Uh, there had been the, the glory days right after prohibition. In fact, as you know, Inglenook wines under the under the supervision of the of their second generation, which was the, I never met him, but a wonderful man named John Daniels, who was a great grand nephew of the founder Gustav Niebaum back mm-hmm. in. 18, 1870. At any rate, uh, there was a transition, and and people didn't really know what was going to happen. And uh, in fact, uh, corporations started sniffing around uh, the uh, thing because they were bargains. Families didn't know quite what the next generation was looking at, and 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 it was a very uh, damaging time because corporation, uh, corporation, in fact, bought. Both U uh, Blind, which was a uh, in, uh, in Connecticut, bought both Inglenook and BB, which were two of the real mm-hmm. stars. with the reason why the reason why Rutherford is such an important region, and uh, sort of dismembered them and and, and uh, broke them apart and sold, made one a supermarket wine, made another. Uh, BV, you know, uh, into their luxury wine and did a lot of damage. And that's why, really, a kid from from Great Neck or or Long Island who had just made some money on the Godfather was even able to buy a property because, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the real, the knowledgeable people were very unsure of whether or not something like The property I bought was really a white elephant. You know, it's sort of like what happened to the movie studios Mm -hmm. in the in the after the seventies when people bought MGM or 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 these great wonderful studios that in France would have been preserved by the cultural laws and just broke it apart and sold the property. And Century City was built on the incredible uh, back lot of 20th Century Fox and all Mm -hmm. the all the ex- extraordinary props and, and, and you know the famous ruby slippers and everything, everything was just sold and and monetized and in and, and a way that uh, I guess American uh, um, industry does and there is we have though no, as you know we have no secretary of culture here so nothing protected it <laughs> for reason for that reason I was able you know we my wife and I were really, strangers and, and we were able to have that opportunity to uh, you know it was a blessing to own such a magnificent property but then you know interestingly i i began to feel very much as though i was an exploiter of this wonderful heritage because we were starting to do it was originally called Nibam Coppola, and we were starting to do very good business but people would come and would look at my oscars and um, film and memorabilia and we were we had a very popular product that was not really from grapes here called Claret and uh, to this day Claret is like a tremendously successful and good and good bargain you know it's, it's like I don't know what it is an 18 dollar bottle of red wine that never lets you down and so I began to feel sort of uh, embarrassed and I announced through our you know, at the time you know I'm going to take everything out of this Nibom Coppola, my awards, my name, uh, Clara, any wine that wasn't made there because I wanted it to be pure and I want it to be what it really was and well so what are you gonna do with these that you're making wine I said well we'll buy some other winery in Sonoma or somewhere and we'll'll we'll, we'll call it Russell and Bianco and we'll move all that I'll move my Oscars there because I really felt embarrassed about. You know, I, I didn't want the property then called Nibom Coppola to be sort of a temple for myself. I was, I was embarrassed by that. And I didn't even want the other winery to be called Francis Coppola. I wanted it to be called Ruslan Bianco in the name of one of our wines. But I was making a movie at the time. And when I came back, the Nibom claret had become the Francis Coppola claret. <laughs> And the and the winery in Sonoma was called, called Francis Coppola Winery. So, you know, probably maybe for in terms of making money, it might have been a good decision. But it embarrassed me tremendously. I, have you know, seen my name. I, I, I've seen my name on so much stuff. It, it only embarrasses me. It doesn't thrill me. I, I, you know, it doesn't thrill me at all to see my name on stuff. Hmm. So that, that, that's 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 the story of how why there's the English and incidentally the now the now Englick Winery is absolutely disconnected. There's not one employee or one service or a legal thing or se- certainly sales. They are they are two separate companies. There's nothing other than that owned by the same family. There's nothing that connects them, which I feel is very necessary when you're making a a, a, a premium wine. It's, yeah, people have. Because the the business philosophy is different. If you tell me at Francis Coppola Winery that we're making uh, 5,000 cases of a certain wine, and if we add this other uh, component to it, we can have 8,000 cases, that'll be almost as good, you're likely to say, okay, do it. But if at angle look, you say, okay, we have the same thing, 5,000 cases, and if we add a little of this batch, it'll be almost as good, you say no. So it's a different, it's a different ownership composition, and and that's why the two companies have to be totally separate.
0: So Francis, it's it's Adam here. I have a question for you about the claret. Um, so it's yeah. actually one of the first wines I ever had. It's it's one of the wines that helped me fall in love with wine. In all seriousness, when I was uh, just graduating college, uh, I'd been actually a film major, um, and so I knew your movies, and then you know came in contact with your wine. And I think it it helped a lot of people discover wine when you created the claret what was the did you have the sort of idea then that it would become such an ambassador for wine in general and for everything else sort of in wine that you would do, or was it just at the time a wine you were looking to create because as you were saying it it was you know something that the valley really hadn't experienced before
2: well to tell you the truth when I was Your age, you know, when I was a young guy and I I had become used to uh, drinking uh, wine, especially when we had the opportunity to have certain foods like a steak or or something that seemed to demand it. There was an Australian wine, I'm trying to remember the name of what it was called. It it wasn't a pencil. What was it called? It was a a Shiraz. And it's a very famous one. And it it was the only wine that really you would see I made a movie called The Rain People driving across the country and there was very and we would get great steaks, but you didn't you couldn't get wine, but there was this one wine and when I saw that wine, I knew it would never let you down. It was uh, damn I, I was- Was it Lindeman's the name. No, it was it was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It was very very much available and it was good and you and and you could trust it. If you bought that you knew you go you were okay. And so with Claret, that was my image. I wanted to make a wine that that would never let you down, that wasn't too expensive, but gave you a really enjoyable wine food experience uh, that you could count on, that that, that you you wouldn't have to doubt. Uh, Damn, I'll remember that name and I'll tell you or I'll send an email what it was called. But that was the inspiration, a wine that
0: wouldn't let you down amazing
1: that's awesome um and so speaking of you know access and accessibility you guys were the first winery or at least in modern history to put wine in a can so um can you tell us a little bit about what led to that decision and then as a follow-up um i was curious do you recommend drinking sophia in the can or
3: pouring it into a glass first
2: well the, the story there is this when sophia was a little girl like seven or eight I used to, you know, she was living here on the in on the uh, uh on the estate. In fact, she was a very feisty little girl. At one time I was in the middle of a bankruptcy and and uh, you know, the process servers would come on the property to to try to serve uh, the the process thing which they're not allowed to do because it's a bigger estate. they they're not even allowed to kind of trespass. And of course when one would come my wife and I would hide, but little Sophia would stand on the porch and she would, stop. You have no right to be here. This is Tara. <laughs>
1: That's it. <awesome. laughs>
2: leave, leave, leave immediately. But she was uh, quite a kid, and I used to tell her when she was seven that when she was married, we were going to serve a wine that was going to be like a, a champagne. Of course, we can't make champagne. Only you can make the champagne. But we used to enjoy a, a blanc de blanc wine. In uh, in uh, Paris, and uh, so we we made this sparkling uh, blanc de blanc wine called Sophia, and you know it was uh, it was an innovation. I know now there's a big trend of people towards prosecco and stuff like that, but uh, but uh, then no. So Sophia was an early, uh, really the early um, uh, incarnation of of a domestic sparkling blanc de blanc uh not champagne not at that level of course but uh at that time in the uh in the uh clubs the kids were starting to uh, uh drink with a straw little bottles of pomery pop it was called pomery pop and so uh, we said well why don't we make a small container uh for for sophia and and sophia herself and her brother said well why don't we put it in those long, tall, like Japanese cans, you know. One of the beauties of my family is that whenever I went anywhere for work, if I was going to be gone for more than two weeks, I took the kids out of school and brought them with me. So as little kids, they got to live in Japan. They got to live in the Philippines. They got to hang out with the movie crews uh, and, and do their, I thought their schooling was more important in the experiences they were having. And I put Sophia in a Chinese school. I put, you know, <laughs> their academic thing was a mess, but it was very stimulating. And they knew about Japan and stuff like that. So so we put the, the first Sophia, she said, call it a mini. And and we put these champagne, uh, this type of, uh, not champagne, but, but Blanc de Blanc uh, in, in these little minis. And had a straw attached to it, and the idea was it would be something that the kids, uh, you know, going to clubs. We were copying. Remember the Pomerie pop? That, that was I do. The, yeah. So with that was our. We remember we put them in a little cans, and then of course, after the second part of the question, was that cat who asked me the question? Yeah, I think so. At any rate, uh, I wouldn't drink it out of a straw. I like. I like. I don't. I don't. I like to drink wine out of a glass. And I like to drink everything out of a glass. I, I won't, if, if I'm having anything, I like, I like the, I love beverages, you know, and I love the, 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 the enjoyment of drinking the beverage in a pretty glass, a nice glass, simple but pretty. Speaking so of, I think I am, yeah,
1: No, speaking of, oh, pretty glass and wine, um, that reminds me of Pinot Noir because Pinot Noir smells so good in a nice glass. And you, are you have a new venture and you're in the dundee hills in willamette it's like kind of where it all began so you decided to start something there that's really exciting do you want to let us know Yeah, about that? no
2: i i love i i love the willamette uh uh pinot noir i mean i'm an admirer and i heard there was an opportunity uh to buy a property right next to the wonderful, if I hope I can pronounce it right, it's Domaine Druin. Is that how you pronounce yes, it? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. They're, they're the family who really started that style of, uh, of burgundy, of bean and wine, a burgundy fashion right. in, in, in that area. And then it was sort of copied by a few other people, but it's it's sort of like that the valley is like where all your neighbors make wonderful wine. <laughs> you can't yeah. it. But I love the, I love the, uh, the the domaine Joanne and, and the winemaker is a wonderful French family and I love those wines and so we were able to uh, buy this property I think, I forget what it's called now but you know I I wanted to give it uh, uh, I, I'm a I'm I'm very interested in, in uh, as you say I'm passionate but also about science and scientists and physicists and I always loved this young nobleman who was uh, um, de Broglie, who who won the nobel prize and was part of the group that were really essential in quantum physics and the idea that he was a prince now you think of a prince as a guy who has a life and he got great clothes and girls like him because he's a prince and stuff <laughs> but here was one here was one who was devoted to science and was passionate was a very shy prince so i wanted to honor him as i have honored the great is Archimedes, so I called it Domaine de Boyer, and it's uh, uh, in, in his honor, and, uh, and, uh, and also I have, you know, certain connections, I think I took some of the props from the movie, Is Paris Burning, that I put up there, and I, you know, I sort of made it my, with things that I'm passionate about, in this case science and quantum physics and stuff, but it's a beautiful place, and the wine is wonderful and fragrant. I'm very, I'm very proud of uh, the main de Bruyne. I really am.
1: Yeah. It looks really great. I love the, the, you have the sparkling wine and Pinot Gris, which is very exciting in, in Oregon. I, and you know, when I was looking at the website, I really can't wait to taste the wines. Um, are you, do, does your family still call you science? Are you, is that still your nickname?
2: <laughs> no, you know, science was not said like in a nice way. When the kids at Jamaica high school called me science, oh. they went, Science! Oh no! Science! You know, it, was, it was an insult. It was <laughs> oh, an insult!
3: Oh my God! Going, no! That's, that's awful! Joke on them!
2: It was to put me down. Oh wow!
0: Jeez! Well,
2: <laughs> and you know, in, in New York Military Academy, I was very skinny in those days. They used to call me Ichabod. Oh my I, God! I, I, <laughs> Ichabod Science. I was, uh, I was, those were different uh, schools. I would, you see, I was always uh, taken out of school and put in another school for reasons of, I, I don't even understand. My father was uh, always moving and uh, I went to about 22 schools before college. So I had what I realized now is a benefit. No school ever got a hold of me and brainwashed me because I was in and out of school sometimes. Once I went to three junior high schools in one year. What in one year? Yeah, I went to I went to six high schools. I went to Jamaica, Jamaica High School, Queens. University High School, um, uh, Bayside High School, uh, Great Neck High School, and New York Military Academy. Wow! Wow! That's, you had a yeah. very well-rounded education then, growing up. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know there is a theory. There's a great Philosopher, educator, and for those of you interested, his name is Ivan Illich, who came up with in the 70s this idea that school was actually a danger to children because it tended to uh, brainwash them into thinking that the kind of society we're in, where you get a better job and you make more money and you get all the accreditation and the grading and the grades, was to brainwash good. Obedient little cogs in the wheel of our society, and that the best thing would be to abolish school and to institute uh, learning in a totally different way. And I, 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 reading this book, I said, "My God, I got away with with schooling because I, I, they never had me more than two months at <laughs> a school, right. you know, a school in New York in those days, which was the early '50s." A school in New York was totally different than a school in LA. Hmm. They,
3: right. they, they they they
2: they were very had different styles to them. And I remember one of the most embarrassing moment of my life is when uh, I came in, in into a class late and in LA, and the teacher said, uh, "You're tardy," and I said, "I'm not tardy. I'm Coppola," and everyone <laughs> in the year, Oh no. And, and, and because in New York they never said you're tardy, they say you're late. I, th- oh I didn't God. know what tardy meant. So, <laughs> so yeah, there was. But 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 the happy thing is, I really think that the fact that I had not gone through regular schooling that I was, in the words of this philosopher, in B school, is probably was an advantage to me. Yeah. And, and I and I know my children. I know Sophia and Roman and. My, my, my eldest son, uh, Giel, they, they didn't do well academically, but in life they learned all about a lot of things, about exotic countries and different kinds of people and movies, and, and they've all benefited in a funny way. I, I think uh, putting your kid in a regimented school with kids of their age uh, going for accreditation and a prescribed curriculum is, is, is ultimately damaging. I would recommend a different system of learning. I don't even want to call it education because, you know, we have a secretary of education and I wish, of course, in addition, we had a secretary of youth because education is just about ideology and budgets. It's not about young people, but our young people are the most valuable people in our whole country. And we never listen to them. We never ask what they really what their aspirations are, that I would split the Secretary of Education and then the second one, the Secretary of Youth, that really brought young people into, into having a say about the society that's going to be theirs. Yeah, anyway, life, life, you experience, that, no, that, life
1: experience is everything.
2: Yeah. Um, Francis, this is Joanna. Um, one last question for you, I guess, which is, you know, what's next? in terms of expansion, um, more properties in Oregon, or any other uh, regions that you're interested in? Well, a region that I absolutely love, and, I, and, 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 and you know, when, that I think are, are wonderful wines and very affordable would be Argentina. You know, certain countries have a region where there's considered the wine region, in like Napa Valley. And, you know, Argentina has a region in Mendoza, which people think is the wine region. But really, that's just the region where a lot of people settle there. In fact, most of Argentina is a wonderful wine region. And, and all along the, the, the mountains there, uh, if you have water, Argentina is, is, a, is, a, is a natural vineyard. The whole country practically. Mm-hmm. And and Argentine, Argentines make great wine, but they're not as well known as Chilean wine, which of course is very in, on the other side of those mountains. Because the the Chileans are are basically descendants of Germans, and they're very good at at business and and selling and stuff. Whereas the Argentine uh, uh, people are more descendants of of Italians, and so they make the wine, but they drink it. <laughs> so so i i i you know when i go to a a wine list and i see that i'm gonna i don't want to go broke i always look at the argentine selections because again you get wonderful wines for very fair prices and uh i'm a big fan of uh i think chilean wine is okay but to me the great wine from from uh South of the borders in Argentina, and if I were a younger man, or if the opportunity fell on my lap, uh, I would, I would, I would love to have, uh, I'd love to have a place there, and, and even with a hotel, and you could go visit, sort of like the uh, who's the gentleman who, who uh, has a beautiful, a uh, place in northern Argentina? Uh, what's his name? He also has a winery here. so it'll come to me.
1: Well, Tim McCurdy yeah. here. He's from. He actually. Tim, who who is on, on right now, he is our staff writer, but he also was a chef in Argentina for a couple of years.
3: Yeah, I lived well, out well, in... Well, uh, well, I was out in Buenos Aires for a while, um, in San Telmo. I, I believe you may be f- familiar oh, with yeah. the neighborhood.
2: Oh, I love I love San Telmo. So when you say horse, you say caballo.
3: I say caballo. So I castellano.
2: Yeah, that's the, what I love the Argentine the pronunciation, you know. Mm-hmm. I like it's to think of it as an it Italian uh,
3: speaking Spanish.
2: <laughs> that's cool. So, huh? yeah, that, well, that's, a, that's exactly what it is. You know, and on the list of the top hotels in Argentina, of course, the first one, what's that great big, beautiful hotel? The, um, the oh, Faena. It's the which
3: one? I think it's the Faena, maybe. I'm not sure here.
2: Well, that, that that's, a, that's a more hip hotel, but there's a classic hotel there that's wonderful. But we're in the, our hotel, which is called Jardim Escondido, is number five, and it only has about eight rooms. It's really, really lovely.
1: That's beautiful. Well, Francis, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This was an awesome conversation. It was so great, and I'm so glad we got everything to
2: work, but um, thank well, you again. Well, I know... It's my pleasure, and uh, and one thing you know, I'm 81 years old, about to be 82. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I'm very—it's not I have a passion for film, or I have a passion for when I have a passion for everything. And I think, I think the human being is a wonderful. entity with kindness we're, we're a much kinder and more friendly people it's just that we're all addicted to news now which scours the world looking for something bad to say yeah so what i would like to give to you all of you i know are younger than me i want you to have some of my enthusiasm for living and learning and, and friendship and the future because the future will be beautiful and it will be a, uh, and we'll share meals with our friends with wine and see beautiful works of art and, and all of you have that and your children more important have that to look forward to that's my that's my sincere belief and 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 of course my hope for a blessing for all of you
1: well thank you wow thank you so much all right that was beautiful thank you so much thank you so much it's amazing
2: thank yes you. bye bye
1: thank you bye, so much. bye. 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 Thanks. You. thanks thanks thank
2: Rick. you nice to meet you bye likewise
3: thank nice you
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of EOD Drinks. If you've enjoyed this program, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. And tell your friends, we want as many people as possible listening to this amazing program. And now for the credits. End of Day Drinks is recorded live in New York City at Vinepair's headquarters. And it is produced, edited, and engineered by Pairs Station's Director. Yes, he wears a lot of hats, Keith Beavers. I also want to give a special thanks to VinePair's Pairs co-founder, Josh Mallon, to the executive editor, Joanna Schiarino, to our senior editor, Kat Walensky, our senior staff writer, Tim McCurdy, and our associate editor, Katie Brown. And a special shout out to Danielle Greenberg, VinePair's Pairs art director who designed the sick logo for this program. The music for End of Day Drinks was produced, written, and recorded by Darby Seaside. I'm VinePair co-founder, Adam Teeter, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot.